that you do in our hearts and lives. We thank you for the hymns that we can sing. And Lord, we just ask now that you would take our time as we start a new Bible study here, that you would guide and direct us through this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Through some things and just praying. Uh, and uh, been talking about a lot here lately about the church and realized that it has been actually many years since we have gone through uh, this series. In fact, uh, I had three different series over the years, and I'm going to try to put them all together. And um, so there will be some new things for just about everybody here as we go through this. And, and I like to call this Searching for the True Church. Uh, you know, uh, no one... Uh, Sung Young Moon, the Mormons, no one puts a sign on their door saying, we aren't the real thing, but we're kind of close. No one will put on the thing, well, no one knows where the real church is, so why don't you just choose the best thing that's possible? That's me. Uh, Everybody claims to be the true church, don't they? And so what we're going to do over the next several weeks and possibly months is go through what the church is, what makes the church different. Jesus, and and, uh, we're going to start with the statement, Jesus said, I will build my church. And so one of the ways that we know and understand something is characteristics, is there are, there should be marks. Uh, Someone, uh, well, not someone, many someones have said over the years, all your kids look alike. Well, there's actually a reason for that, amen? Uh, uh, They all had the same father, they all had the same mother, and... and, uh, uh, and they were raised in the same house, and, uh, and we even had all 12 of them in the house at one time for one summer, I think. Uh, and uh, there are just some characteristics. Um, the, the children that have traveled on the singing teams, every once in a while they'll go into a church and a preacher will walk up and say, aren't you a Montoro or Marshall or something like that? And, uh, oh, yes, yes, you know my grand, I know your grandfather and I know, but, and, 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 uh, actually that had become a point of irritation with some of the team members that, uh, our kids were known in many different places because there, there was just a connection there. And yet, when we talk about the church, people who have no claim, no characteristics in common. No connection whatsoever to the historical origin will stand up and proudly proclaim, we are the true church and everyone else is false. Now, the only one dumber than that, I'm sorry, was Harold Camping, who got up several years ago and said, the church is dead. If you want the truth, you listen to me. And... Uh, you know what? There were people who actually believed that. 
In fact, I don't care how ridiculous you get, there's always somebody out there that's going to listen to you. Just follow the um, diatribe connected with the presidential primary. Amen? Uh, people are, are listening and people will believe anything. And so, what, what we want to do is we want to start, of course, with the Scriptures. By the way, let me ask you to pray for Anthony Gennaro. That is our engineer. Uh, got in a good, good witness to him this afternoon. And uh, found out old Mel Sabaka had witnessed to him years and years ago. That's somebody from our distant past. He said, I, I like that guy. He had one foot uh, in the Bible and another one, and his way of saying it was in the world, but he, what he meant was that he was, he was a real man. And Brother Sabaka certainly was. Um, he's with the Lord now. But turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. But... Just keep our engineer in prayer as well. would surely love to see him find true faith in Jesus Christ through this. And uh, what we're going to do is always have more than one thing we're trying to accomplish here. We, we want to, as we study a subject through the Bible, we also want you to learn how to study the Bible. And so, one of the things that we're mentioning tonight is what is called the law of first mention. If you are want to be a serious student of the Bible, if you want to study the Bible honestly and correctly at all, uh, this is something you need to be familiar with. When, when God mentions something first, when it is first mentioned in the Bible, you're usually going to get an explanation. If you want to study something in its context, start at the place where it's first mentioned. And that's why we're going to Matthew chapter 16. This is the first time in your Bible the word church is used. And it's absolutely amazing. Well, no, it's not. It just fits the pattern that Jesus explains an awful lot about his church without actually saying Point one, the church is the body of Christ. And, and most people, when, when they hear doctrinal preaching, they say, oh my, it's going to be boring. Well, if doctrine is boring, you got a problem. Doctrine doesn't. Because doctrine is what we live. And so, if doctrine is boring, what you're saying is, my life is boring. I feel sorry for you. There's a cure for that. Amen? Uh, it's starting to live what you believe. And once you start doing that, you'll find out that life is no longer boring. You don't have enough time to sit down and, and be bored. There's too much to do. And so, we start reading in verse 13. We have a little break here in the action. It says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Very simple question there. And yet, I want you to understand something. This is the introduction to the subject of the church. And so, if you want to keep 
your study of the church correct, if you want to make sure you're studying the right kind of church, when the word church is brought up, so should the topic of Jesus Christ. How many people, how many churches do you know? I mean, they call it the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. How many people know what I'm talking about? The Mormon Church. How much do they talk about Jesus? Well, he gets an honorable mention, right, in the name of the organization, but the next place you go is Joseph Smith's books. You see, Jesus asked the question when he started, because you see, there are many kinds of churches out there. They all claim to be the right one, but the real one, the number one characteristic about the true church is it's all about Jesus. Jesus said, okay, number one, who do men say? Listen, you disciples, you hear all the gossip out there. You hear the, the, the rat trap and the rattle of people's empty minds as, they, as their marbles roll around in their empty head. And they say things. He says, I want to know what people say. Now, why did, you, did Jesus not know what people were saying about him? Wait a minute. He's God. Amen. He knew every word, every thought, every intent of the heart. What he's trying to do is set up a comparison force here. He wants us to understand something. You see, there are many, many people out there. In fact, I, I know of, I don't know of any religions that will really say, oh, Jesus was a nobody. Even the Buddhists recognize Jesus as a great teacher. Uh, almost every religion out there is willing to recognize Jesus as a great someone. Islam says he is the greatest of all the prophets. He is greater than Muhammad. But he's not God. Well, wait a minute. You see... Look what the, the list here. I wish we had time. Maybe one of these Sunday mornings we'll just spend a, a little bit of time on this. But here's what they said. Verse 14. Some say, thou art John the Baptist. Now, that one's not too hard to figure out. John was the one who baptized Jesus. It was Herod that said uh, that Jesus was John the Baptist. That risen from the dead. Do you know what that tells me about Jesus' preaching? That he didn't stand there and go, Brethren, we're gathered here together in the sight of God. Because John the Baptist was one of those wild men from the desert. And I mean the... The, the trees and the rocks echoed the sound of his voice. And those scribes and those Pharisees, when he called them snakes and serpents and, and, and all those things, I mean, he wasn't trying to win friends and influence people. Uh, uh, and, and John's appearance, let me tell you, would be something fearful to behold. He made his own clothes what they were out of uh, camel hair and, and, and leather girdle and... And uh, no one that I know of wants to join John the Baptist for dinner time. Grasshoppers and wild honey. 
Now, there are people out there that tell me those things. Boy, you fry them up in a pan with some butter and they're just, well, you can have all mine. How many are on my side with that one? All right. Um, the wild honey, now that I don't mind. But uh, you, you can have your own grasshoppers or locusts. Uh, you, you're more than welcome. But that was their first answer. What was the next one? Elias, that's not too hard to get. Elijah the prophet. Uh, it said John the Baptist would come in the spirit of Elijah. And you remember, he's the one that called down fire from Mount Carmel. But then the next one is interesting because it's Jeremiah. Jeremiah. How many of you know the nickname of Jeremiah? He was called the weeping prophet. He was a very young man. He was very tender. God had a lot of things in Jeremiah's prophecy. He said, I'm going to make you able to withstand their words. You are going to uh, be strong even though you don't appear to be strong. And you are not strong. He said, God said to Jeremiah, I'm going to make you that way. And it's interesting, the incredible contrast between John the Baptist and Elias and Jeremiah. You know, that that subject deserves a sermon, Uh, but we don't have time for it tonight. These are just some of the sayings. And see, this is what we mean, or one of the prophets. You see, here's the difference between a false church and the real church. The false church is willing to recognize Jesus as a great somebody. But Jesus then refocuses the question. And in verse 15, But whom say ye that I am? I want to know what you say. And they say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, the pronouns and the articles used are all singular. So, they say, Thou, you are the, that means the only one, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, you have to remember who who was saying this. All these disciples were Jewish men. They did not believe in a plurality of deities. They believed that there was only one God. That is the first commandment. And the second commandment is that you are only to worship God. I mean, these, these, these men, the idea that there could be more than one God was so foreign to them, it never even entered their thought process. They were Jews. They, they were monotheists. They believed only in one God. And Peter says, You are the Christ. Now, if you know anything about the languages of our Bible, the word Christ is the Greek equivalent, Christos. It was just brought into the English language from the Greek. The Hebrew word is Messiah. 
So when you talk about all the Old Testament prophecies of Messiah, these were Jewish men, they were looking for the coming of the Messiah. John the Baptist had prophesied uh, of the coming of the Messiah, but John the Baptist's prophecy was different than the Old Testament prophets. You see, the Old Testament prophets said, He is coming. John's prophecy was, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. The sin of the world. Amen? And so, what the disciples do here, Peter is the one speaking. He says, You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the answer to all the questions. You are the Son, the physical manifestation of God living among men. Matthew chapter 1, His name shall be called what? Emmanuel. God with us. So this was Peter's statement And as we are introduced, we haven't gotten to the word church yet, but this is the context. If the church is about anything other than the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we got problems. This is how the church is introduced. This is what we mean by, if you want to study something in your Bible, start where it's first mentioned. And so much is explained right here as Peter makes a statement. And here's what uh, Jesus says in response to that statement. Verse 17, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, or son of Jonah, For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, people love to read into the Bible things that aren't in the Bible. You see, there there is a church organization that just claims to have the right to this passage. But they violate the first rule. You see, this passage is not about Peter. It's about Jesus. And God did not appear to Peter and give him some special revelation that nobody else had. Peter was the spokesman of the disciples. Could could I put it to you simply? I tried to put this in the notes as clear as I could. Peter was close enough to God that when Jesus came along, he recognized him. Do you you understand what I'm saying? There's no magical thing here. This is why Jesus said, if you believe the Father, you're going to believe me. If you believe Abraham, you're going to believe me. If you are walking close to God, if you have faith in the God of the Bible, when Jesus showed up, you would know who He was and is. And that's all that Peter did, was he recognized Jesus. You see, Peter wasn't some ignorant, 
fishermen who had no knowledge of anything according to God or the Bible. And Jesus walked along and out of the blue, he says, Hey, uh, I'll bet you can cuss good. You'd make a good follower of me. You know, that's the way most of these modern preachers think about Peter. Now, we know that Peter used some language that no Christian ought to use a little bit later, but he was in the midst of denying the Lord Jesus Christ when he did that. That wasn't why Jesus chose him. He was a man who had a heart that was striving to find and serve God. Is that an extraordinary leap for anybody in the room here? You see, Peter was already there. All the disciples were baptized by whom? John the Baptist. They were looking for the coming Messiah. These were men that knew enough about God and enough about the Bible that when John the Baptist showed up, they followed him. They were baptized by him. And when Jesus showed up, Peter said, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. Now, Jesus makes a statement, flesh and blood did not reveal that to him. It wasn't something that Peter was smart enough to figure out on his own. It was because he was walking with the Lord. He was worshiping the God of Abraham. Amen? It's just that simple. Now, Jesus makes a statement here, and we're going to come back to the, uh, the, the statement about the, the church. Because we want to just, while we're on Peter, we want to just pick up these two things. And I will give unto thee the key, verse 19, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. You see, the theme of the church is Jesus, the true church. I had a guy stop me in front of Union. Uh, we were doing some things and he's standing there going, wow. So you're going to make condos out of this? I said, no, no, we're, we're going to keep it at church. Uh, do you need any artwork, like murals? Or So I, I knew exactly what he was doing. He's looking for a job. And I said, well, I said, we're a Baptist church. I said, and something that's a little different about the Baptist church, I said, is we're, we don't look for a lot of relics and, and uh, beautiful things because we don't want you to be distracted from what's really important in the church. And that's the Word of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he thought about him and he said, oh, so, so you, you just keep things simple. Said, yeah, that's us. That's who we are. And then I could see him going, I just talked myself out of a job, didn't I? No, you never had one to start with. Amen. If we wanted a mural painted in the church, we'd want 
somebody in our church to do it. Uh, but here's the thing is, already Jesus had established the theme. Now, is Jesus Christ? Now, this idea of the keys and the, uh, of the kingdom is very simple. Keys open doors. We've been through this, but I just want to do it systematically so we get everything together. When Jesus said that he gives, was giving unto Peter the keys of the kingdom, he was not giving to Peter any special power in the kingdom. He said, I'm going to give you the privilege of preaching the first gospel message to the Jew. Acts chapter 2, key number 1. Philip went up to Samaria and preached, but you remember something wasn't quite right. The Holy Spirit had not fallen on them. They were not making the same, uh, uh, the proof, the signs and the wonders weren't, weren't there. And then Peter came up and prayed. And guess what? Everything started happening with the Samaritans, just like it did with the Jews on the day of Pentecost. Key number two, Acts chapter 10. He preached the first gospel message to the Gentile, a Roman soldier, by the way, a centurion, a, a captain, we might say, in the Roman army, had a hundred men under him, and he believed. Well, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. The only other option is a half-Jew, and the Samaritans took care of that. If you're a human being, you find yourself in one of those things, one of those three categories. The keys were used, the doors are open, and nobody's going to shut them. That, that's all there was to the keys of the kingdom. Now, the entire priesthood of the Orthodox and later the Roman Catholic Church as they separated and developed differently, is built on this next phrase. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And that was where he gave Peter power to take away people's salvation. And, and he is in charge of the church. And he and they go on and on and on and on and on. How many of you wish you had just one dollar for every thousand dollars that the church has spent on its priesthood? You could buy any property you wanted to buy in New York City and have enough left over to renovate. Uh, sounds like that one's all about money, doesn't it? And it is. In fact, you study history. People used to buy priesthoods. And they bought the positions and because there was an income involved. It was a tax on the people, was the giving to the church. In fact, you still go to certain countries and they still tax people for the payment of the church. By the way, they still do that in England. How about we go to Acts chapter, I mean Matthew chapter 18. Just turn the page or so in my Bible. It's just one page. And uh, I want to move quickly here. 
But in starting in verse 15, Jesus is instructing the church. He says, if your brother offend thee you and trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Now, this is the method. Uh, this is the way. If someone in the Open Door Bible Baptist Church, another member, offends you, here's what you have a biblical obligation to do. Go talk to them. If they won't hear you, here's what it says. Take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. This is not gossip. Normally, the pastor gets called in right about this step as one of the witnesses. That's how we take care of this thing. It says, and if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto who? Well, the church. Where did that come from? Uh, Matthew chapter 16, amen? You tell it unto the church. Now, if you believe in a universal, invisible church, you're going to have an awful difficult time getting that done now, aren't you? Because you're going to have to translate it into about every language on the, on the earth, and you're going to have to broadcast that thing all over the world. No. We are obviously talking about a local assembly of believers here, are we not? And so, if he won't hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Look at verse 18. Verily, verily, I say unto you, plural, whatsoever ye, plural, shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye, plural, shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Could, could I challenge you that does not belong to Peter? That passage belongs to the church. And let me explain how it works. Every one of us, I, I, I don't like necessarily explaining this passage because I have people in my mind when I explain this passage. They come into church and they hear the preaching. And they say, wow, never heard anything like that before. And then they get saved. Guess what they just got done? They just got loosed, didn't they? They just got set free. And then all of a sudden, some little snag comes up. Something they don't like. And they get all mad. And they get upset. And sometimes they'll even leave our church never to come back again. You know what they just got? Bound. That's how it works. That's all it is. There's no special power. There's no priesthood. But I'll tell you, you need to be careful what you do with the Word of God. Because if you know Jesus, He's going to set you free. Amen? And if you refuse to obey Him, you're going to get tied up. And it's not only going to be here on earth. You read Hebrews chapter 13. There's a report that the preacher has to get, give when he gets to heaven. He has to give a report on everybody that was a member of the church. I'm not looking forward to that day. 
Because some of those reports aren't going to be very good. I'm going to be praising the Lord and jumping up and down for the good ones. Amen? But let me tell you, that's what this is talking about. That's all it's talking about. There's no room for a hierarchy in here. There's no room for some extravagant priesthood and all of these incredible inventions that mankind has tried to twiddle into the Word of God. And so now we go back to the statement that Jesus made. Jesus said, that I say unto thee, that thou art Peter. You're the man that made the statement. And upon this rock, this is the best way I know how to illustrate this. He says, Behold, thou art Peter. And upon this rock, pointing to himself, I will build my church. That is the understanding of that verse. The church is not built on Peter. Anyone that would make that statement is so ignorant of what the Bible teaches. Or, here's the other option, they've been told the wrong thing so many times that they've never gone looking for the truth. You see, read First uh, uh, Peter chapter 2. Peter says, Jesus is the rock. Read Luke chapter 20. In the parable of the vineyard, Jesus said, I am the rock. Read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says, no other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ. Uh, The Bible is very, very clear. The church is all about Jesus. The church is built by Jesus. It was started by Jesus. And the rock that Jesus was speaking about is himself. We do not measure our Christianity based on Peter. Can you find me one verse that says that? Whose image are we to be conformed to? The image of Christ. Can we say amen to that? And so, as we look at this passage, we have a promise. Jesus says, I will build my church upon this rock, talking about himself. And then he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, what this is simply saying is in the day of Jesus, um, things had changed some. But if you go back to your Old Testament, where did the king sit? Oh, he sat in a throne in the palace. No. The king sat in the gate. That is where the king conducted the business of the kingdom. In fact, when Nebuchadnezzar took Jerusalem, what does it say? It says that his man that was in charge of his army set up his throne in the gate. They were sitting, the generals of the army were having a meeting 
in the gate of Jerusalem. And when Zedekiah saw that, he said, it's all gone. And he took off and they caught him and blinded him and did all those horrible things. It's talking about the government, the authority, the power. The power of hell shall not prevail against Jesus' church. You know what? The devil has never stolen one member of one church. Of Jesus' church. Now, there's an awful lot of people who, down through the years, have said, Hey, I give up on this Jesus stuff. I'm going to go back to the world where I came from. Well, here's what the Bible says about that person. They never had it in the first place. Because if you did, you would no doubt have continued with us. Amen? That's what the Bible teaches. And also, read Revelation chapter 2 and 3. That doesn't mean churches won't have problems. In fact, Jesus told the church at Ephesus, if you don't straighten things out, I'm going to put out the candle. Did that mean Jesus' church had been prevailed against? Obviously not, because Jesus never contradicted himself. But since Matthew chapter 16, to this day, we believe that there has always been at least one church that belonged to Jesus functioning here on planet Earth. And praise God, most of that time, there's been more than one. Now, you will hear me as we will, we will deal with this. Uh, there are people that believe in uh, Baptist perpetuity, that they can trace their pastor all the way back to John the Baptist. That's not where I am. Because you know Why? You can trace your heritage all the way back if you want to. But if you disagree with this book called the Bible, are you part of Jesus' church? You see, truth is not based on heredity. Truth is based on the Word of God. Again, Jesus is the living Word. This book is the written Word. The church is all about Jesus. And someone said, well, you believe in the spiritual kinship theory. Well, you can call it that if you want. But what I believe is Jesus' church believes the same thing. That those characteristics ought to be prevalent enough that someone should be able to see them. And so, if our church bears the same characteristics as a medieval preacher who lived in Bohemia named Peter Reidman, maybe we have a connection. But you know what that connection is? It's the same one that I share with Abraham. I'm not a physical descendant of Abraham. I am his child, book of Galatians, by faith. Amen? I believe and worship the same God that Abraham does and did. Because God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Amen? And so, 
we we believe that the church was started by Jesus, it's built on Jesus, and it's all about Jesus, and it's never going to quit being all about Jesus. And so then we come down here, and he charges his disciples, he said, but it's not time yet. You know why he told them it's not time yet? Because it was on the day of Pentecost, the church would not begin, but the church would be empowered. It's time of service and place of service was not ready yet. This is a brand new thing. There had never been this thing called a church. Jesus said, I'm going to start it. I'm going to build it. I'm going to keep it. Because it's not about you. It's all about me. And then the rest of this chapter, and we'll get through it in time, I hope, it says... From that time forth, verse 21, began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Does that sound like the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Am I the only one that thinks that? If you think that, say amen. Because that's what he's saying. See, Jesus was explaining the gospel message. That's the message of the church. And what did Peter do? Peter rebuked him. Now, if Peter was the first pope, he, he was really doing a pretty poor job of it, wasn't he? And look what Jesus says to Peter here. Get thee behind me. What's that next word? Get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus called Peter Satan. He said, because you savor the things of man and not the things of God. He said, the Spirit of God revealed to you who I am. You see, you were walking close enough with God that you were able to recognize me. But just as quickly as I explain to you that, you turned aside and started walking with the devil. Because that's human nature. You see, the church isn't about the things of man. The church isn't about anyone's position. What Peter was saying is, I'm going to protect you from those things. And yet, Jesus said, that's the reason why I came. And we get to verse 24. This is what the church is supposed to be about. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you have any questions about what he means there, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. (coughs) Here's what Jesus says. If you're going to follow me, you've got to lose your life. That's what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, by the way. It means to give up your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the word Lord means. Does that mean you're going to be perfect in that? Peter certainly wasn't. He really messed up just moments after making that incredible statement of truth. 
How could he mess up any more than he did? Couldn't. You see, the church is about Jesus. It's so much about Jesus that it's nothing about you. Paul put it this way, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can we say amen to that? And then, the verse that everybody likes to quote, what shall a man be, uh, what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or what shall man give in exchange for his soul? You need to understand something. Some, we are very reactionary. See, the Orthodox and the Catholic religions make such a big deal about the church. That many Baptists say, oh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I'm not here to get you to change your church. I just want you to believe in Jesus. I always get nervous when I hear something because I, I do want you to change your church. I think the one you're going to is a fake one. Uh, that's why I want to tell you about the real one. Amen. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be offensive here. But it's not the same. You use the same word, but it has nothing to do with Jesus. You see, you cannot achieve any greater thing in this life than to serve Jesus Christ in His church. Church is important, my friend. It's deadly important. In fact, there's nothing else in your life that you can compare or is worthy to be compared to your service in the church of Jesus Christ. That is where... You're supposed to put your soul if you're serving Jesus. Amen? It's important. Can we say amen to that? You see, there's nothing else in the Bible. No other way to serve the Lord Jesus Christ than through His church. Well, Pastor, all you want me to do is sit still. You're accomplishing more sitting still in the church than anything you could accomplish of what you think is value in the world. You have to understand this whatsoever man has profited. It's talking about living in Jesus' church. Not savoring the things of man, but savoring the things of God. The next verse says there's a judgment coming. And who's going to be the judge? Well, Jesus is. In verse 28, He says this, Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now, I believe Jesus knew what he was talking about. And I believe that there are people that were standing there hearing Jesus spoke these, speak these words that saw exactly 
what Jesus was talking about. And if I can cheat just a little bit and give you the answer I believe it is, was the day of Pentecost. We saw the kingdom come with power. People surrendered to the gospel message and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, which kingdom is it? Read Luke chapter 17. Behold, the kingdom of God is... Does anybody remember? Within you. That's where we see the kingdom come with power today. How many of you know somebody, maybe even yourself, whose life was changed by the power of the coming of Jesus Christ when you got saved? Could you say amen to that? See, that's the earmark of Jesus' church. It's all about Jesus. In fact, it's so much about Jesus that you've got to lose your life before you can become a member of that church. Because it's no longer your life, it belongs to Jesus. There is nothing you can attain in this world that is as as valuable as surrendering your soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, I don't believe salvation is in the church. But I believe if you're saved the Bible way, you ought to be in the church. That's what Jesus is saying here. You don't have an excuse. This is where things are. And this is the first time church is mentioned. You know what? If we tried to explain every theological point I've dealt with in the sermon tonight, we would be here until next Thursday night just reading through the fine print. But instead of doing that, let's just lose our lives and live for Jesus in his church. Amen? Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We ask that you would take this series and that you would help us to see and understand the greatness, the goodness of your plan, the church. And Lord, that you would clarify much of the confusion that is in this world and the things that people say. And Lord, I pray for wisdom as I go over years of notes and and things and try to put this uh, series together that it would be simple and straightforward. And Lord, that it would lay to rest many of the conflicts in hearts and minds. Lord, that we could just simply serve you as your church. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer...